This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. The Buck Sexton Show. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hunt. Great to have you. Honor and a privilege. A pleasure, as always. You guys are the best part of my day every single day. The only problem with liking you all so much is that when I have vacation or I have a weekend, as much as I'd like to enjoy it, I'm like, I, I miss the team. So there's that. The only downside all of you being as uh, fantastic a bunch of patriots as you are. So there was a debate last night. I'm going to try to do my very level best here to not tell you the stuff that you're going to be hearing all day on Fox or on other talk radio. We're going to cover some of it. I have a slightly, of course, a buck-like take on things that is different from the others out there. Uh, But one thing that I was particularly struck by last night uh, over the course of the debate, and, and I'll give you my... Uh, unvarnished opinion of it. I actually wrote something for CNN.com, and it, it was kind of like my version of that moment in Groundhog Day with Bill Murray when he's like, thousands of people gather together to worship a giant rat. <laughs> he's just had enough. He doesn't want to, he doesn't, can't deal with it anymore. He's sick of Groundhog Day. Um, I had sort of had enough last night of the of the debate. I didn't think there was very much that was new, but I did feel like there was uh, a there was more clarity on a few things about Hillary Clinton um, that she is a liar, which we've all known all along, and I know that's not even a little bit new to you. And also, there's a part of her that's that's truly immoral. I mean, I don't like to throw in the term evil when discussing human beings. You know, Hillary's not marching people off into uh, camps or putting them in you know, gas chambers or any of these other things that people throw around on the Internet about, oh, about Donald Trump, actually, uh, that they say that that's going to happen. Ken Burns, the uh, documentarian, was interviewed by uh, Christiana Wampour on CNN. And uh, this is this now qualifies as thoughtful analysis about Donald Trump, I suppose. I'm going to play. It's going to be a little bit of an extended clip. It's about a minute and change. I want you to hear the whole thing, because then we can really talk about what we saw at the debate last night, because this is the this is really the underpinning now of the anti-Trump campaign. 
Uh, play clip one. I don't recognize my country anymore. This is so terrifying. I think this is an existential moment for the United States of America. I think this is the greatest threat since the Cuban Missile Crisis and the Second World War for how we're going to be and what kind of people we want to be and what kind of constitution we want to adhere to. We've been unprecedented in the world in that we've had 216 years of the smooth transition of power. And he is implying that no matter what happens, it's not going to be that way. And that's that's just unprecedented. I want to ask you about something that a conservative, a Republican, has written in the LA Times about this myth of rigging, the myth of losing that Donald Trump has been putting around. He said it's very dangerous and reprehensible. He's creating his own version of the stabbed-in-the-back myth propagated by German writers after World War I who claimed that the German army had not really lost that war. It had been betrayed by Jews and Marxists. Is history sort of repeating itself in this victimhood myth? It is. It's a very effective political tool in the short run. And they're playing, they're, the Trump campaign is taking a play, their playbook is out of the National Socialist Party in Germany in every regard. In every regard, he says. In every, just, just like the National Socialists. Oh, yeah. Just like the Nazis. This is a, a supposedly serious interview. In the sense that it's, well, it's serious in that it's on a a real news network, but they're treating this individual's opinion as though it should be given all due credibility and seriousness. And he is saying, he is saying that Trump is essentially the next, is, is taking all of the stuff out of Hitler's playbook. He's the next Hitler. This is insane. This is insane. I've told you before, I knew this family growing up. I knew Ivanka well. He's not Hitler. Is he boorish? Can he sound like a buffoon? Is he a sexist? Is he perhaps not the best? <laughs> perhaps. Is he uh, not the most obvious choice for the commander in chief? Yeah, of course, all of that. I'm not some Trumpster. You know that. You've known that all along. And many of you, I, I feel like, at least give me credit for trying to be as, as fair-minded about this at each stage of the game as I possibly can be. Right? That I... Look at each individual moment of this campaign and describe it and analyze it and and talk about it with you without just constantly pushing an agenda one way or the other. You can all make up your own minds you're going to on Election Day. Evan McMullen, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton. Maybe there's like a Jill Stein listener out there in the audience. I don't know. It's possible. Uh, Gary Johnson and who am I? Yeah. Did I mention Gary Johnson? Yeah. What is Aleppo? So. We see all of this and uh, we, we hear this stuff about Trump and it's supposed to terrify us. The big takeaway, and I'll get into this in a little more detail from last night's debate, was supposed to be that Donald Trump won't accept the outcome before it happens of the election. I know this is what the, and people are saying, oh, he lost the debate in that one moment. By the way, I disagree. No one's gonna, the media was going to say he lost the debate in that one moment about any number of things. It didn't matter. We all know that, right? We get that. They've, they've given up any pretense of objectivity when it comes to gauging this debate, uh, or, or any of the debates for that matter. But what was lost in all of this is that while Trump said things last night that weren't uh, brilliant, he doesn't necessarily understand some of the policies that he's advocating, particularly on the national security side, Hillary Clinton is a liar and is deeply immoral. And she even advocates for policies that I would say are evil. We've got people saying that Trump is Hitler 
Meanwhile, when Hillary Clinton is pushed on the issue of abortion, when she's pushed on that issue, well, we can play, let's play the Trump and Clinton takes on this, and then I'll get into it some more. Play clip four. Because based on what she's saying and based on where she's going and where she's been, you can take the baby and rip the baby out of the womb in the ninth month on the final day. And that's not acceptable. Well, that is not what happens in these cases. And using that kind of uh, scare rhetoric is just terribly unfortunate. You should meet with some of the women that I've met with, women I've known over the course of my life. This is one of the worst possible choices that any woman and her family has to make. And I do not believe the government should be making it. Is it wrong, Hillary? Is an abortion in the third trimester wrong? In the ninth month, is it wrong? I wish Donald Trump had pushed her on this. He let her escape far too many times. He is not an adept debater. We all know that. He is a good entertainer. He is not a good debater. There were so many moments where he could have cornered her, and this is one of them. She just speaks in circles. Hillary Clinton speaks in such a way that dumb people think she sounds smart. That's the truth of her rhetoric. We're talking about abortion. We're talking about third trimester abortion. And she starts going off in this tangent about how it's, oh, well, what about life of the mother? And this is, by the way, similar to Obama, who as a state senator voted against the Born Alive, the companion state bill to the Born Alive Infant Protection Act, which was written in part by my college advisor, Hadley Arkies. I know you've heard me say that a thousand times, but I think if Hadley could have a few things on his tombstone, he's still with us. I'm not trying to say anything. Like that. Uh, I think that his advocacy for and hand in the Born Alive Infant Protection Act would probably be at the top of the list. And I think he should be very proud of that. Obama voted against it. They they wanted a a, a life of the mother exception. Do you think that even if they had that exception, which I think you can make a moral, you can make a clear moral case that that is is something that at least it's a life versus life conflict, right? This is two people. Only one of them gets the medicine to survive. What do you do? First of all, that's incredibly rare, and it's particularly incredibly rare in the third trimester. I mean, this is borderline, what do we do if space aliens land and snatch the baby out of the womb? Who's responsible for that? I mean, this is not something that is at the center of this debate. But what it showed you is that Hillary Clinton doesn't believe in any limitations on this because NARAL and Planned Parenthood and Pro-Choice America are among the most important and powerful constituencies that she has. You cannot be a Democrat in good standing unless you will bow before that altar. I know some of you would think that it's a satanic altar, but nonetheless... And you saw it last night. This is a woman who has her own child, who has grandchildren, and does not believe, will not go on record in believing in any restrictions whatsoever on the abortion procedure. If that isn't evil for a politician to advocate, I don't really know what is. So as we sit there, and you can tell me that, oh, Trump used to be pro-choice, Trump used to be this. Okay, maybe that's all true. At least last night, in front of tens of millions of Americans, he was saying, you shouldn't rip a baby out of the womb in the ninth month. And Hillary Clinton, who, based on the polls, is supposed to be the next president of the United States, is standing up there and saying, yeah, actually, I think you should be able to do that. It's a tough call. That's not a tough call. It's about as obvious a moral question as exists. And she isn't just on the wrong side of this question. Keep in mind, she is advocating and trying to achieve the power to implement this 
to make sure that there are as few restrictions as possible. If Hillary Clinton gets her way, there will be as many of those late-term procedures as there could be. That will be part of the plan. It's evil, isn't it? If it's not evil, what is it? I find most of this election dispiriting and depressing. Donald Trump has disappointed me time and time again, and I had low expectations for him to begin with. But Hillary Clinton makes me want to vomit on my feet. And what she showed the country last night, I would think, would bring others onto my side of this equation. But, oh no, she sort of just... just glides around, always finds a way out of, said some of the dumbest things a presidential candidate has ever uttered at this stage of a campaign. We'll talk about her her response to Second Amendment questions and how DCV Heller was about toddler. I mean, this is just, she's just making up nonsense. Every bit is stupid. Every bit as stupid, every bit as much a non sequitur as anything Donald Trump has said. And yet there are people giving interviews on major news networks about how Trump is using Hitler's tactics, and this is like the Cuban Missile Crisis, and if Donald Trump wins, we're all going to die. That is insane. If Hillary Clinton wins, there will be a dark cloud over this country. We will have a deeply and unrepentantly immoral human being as the commander-in-chief. We'll have somebody for whom there really are no limits except the limits necessary to keep her in power. So if she has the ability to do something and it benefits her, she will do it. It's not because she restrains herself. It's not because she has some moral code. The Clintons laugh at moral codes. They destroy moral codes for fun. It's how they get their kicks. I'm not trying to turn this into an eighth grade insult contest, although there was a moment last night where who was, quote, a puppet came up. No, you're a puppet. Hillary Clinton is... A morally odious person. She's more than compromised. She advocates for what is wrong. And she does so openly and smugly. And soon, unless Donald Trump is able to beat her, or perhaps Evan McMullen pulls off a miracle, or perhaps, I don't know, Gary Johnson maybe, but but not really. She'll be the most powerful person in the free world. And I want to talk to you more about what that means, because we've already gotten a taste of it. I've looked more into what's happened with this general. It is appalling. You want to talk about people getting marched off into camps? Let me tell you something. Hillary's not going to march us off into camps, but she is going to march some of us off to prison. They're already setting the tone. They're already letting us know that's going to happen. Major critics of her candidacy, people who stood in the way, all of a sudden are going to find themselves harassed and ruined. And in some cases, incarcerated. That's how the Clintons play ball. We have evidence of that. They have a history of that. You can tell me that you think Donald Trump would be just as bad, and I will tell you, I think that that is absolutely not the case. Would he be great? Probably not. Is he Hillary Clinton, though? He is not. Think about that moment last night, just the exchange specifically on issues of life. People of goodwill and intelligence and integrity can can talk about conception, can talk about when it be, you know, when life be. They, there's they can discuss that at least. I, I can understand that. People of goodwill can disagree with me on that. Fine. But nine months, nine months, we we can't get Hillary to come, go on record and say the day before the baby's due, it's a baby. What could be more evil than that? And why is she doing it? She's not an idiot. 
She's doing it purely for reasons of self-advancement and power. And there's nothing, there is nothing that is too low for this woman. That's what I got from last night's debate. We'll be back in a few minutes. This is the Buck Sexton Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. The Buck Sexton Show. She wants to be the leader of the free world, but apparently she doesn't either know what a baby is or believe that a baby is a human being. Here's Hillary Clinton on abortion. Play it. The unborn uh, person uh, doesn't have constitutional rights. Are you saying that a child on its due date, just hours before delivery, still has no constitutional rights? Under our law, that is the case, um, Paula. I support Roe v. Wade. But are there Uh, any restrictions you would accept on late-term abortions? Well, you know, I, I've been on the record on this for a long time. You know, I, I think no that answer. the life and health of the mother, obviously rape That's and incest, an uh, have to be always taken into account. That's not Deep-seated cultural codes, religious beliefs, and structural biases have to be changed. She's vile, everyone. She's vile. She's a vile person. I don't mean boorish and rude And yeah, Trump is those things. Fine. That's true. Trump is childish. He's spoiled. He acts like a baby sometimes. I get all of that. Do I think you could sit down and have an honest conversation with Trump, though, where you at least have some sense of connecting to a basic humanity? Yeah. I think Hillary's walled that off. I'm not even sure it's there anymore. Those are her own words. A baby on its due date, does it have any rights? No, it does not. That's the, that's the answer for conservatives? The answer is to have that person in the Oval Office? Really? Uh, how do you even work with that? A, a moral compass that has been shattered and thrown into the trash unceremoniously. That's who Hillary Clinton is. That's who she is as a person. That's what she would bring to this country. And yet... We have people giving interviews about how Trump is Hitler. He's going to march us, you know, he's going to march us all into camps. Why would Trump do that? Well, yeah, is he, is he a narcissist, an egomaniac? By the way, all these people running for office are, in one way or another, kind of narcissistic egomaniacs. You kind of have to be to run for president. It's just a question of you also 
believe in God and service to your country? And are you doing it more out of a sense of patriotism than narcissism? But you better think you're something special if you're going to go through this process. And most of the people who go through the process think they're more special than they are. But I just feel like it was laid bare for the country last night to see. And Hillary Clinton is an immoral person. She is not a good human being. And I don't say that lightly. I don't say that to overstate things or cover up for the fact that we have a candidate on the Republican side who sometimes seems like he can't tie his shoes. But she's a liar. And there is no moral core to her. It's just whatever works at any point in time, whatever she needs to do or say. People say, oh, Buck, you act like she would be a, you know, she would be a mass murderer if she could. That's not the point. And by the way, if we're talking about mass murder and we're talking about the repeal of the Hyde Amendment and we're talking about nine, nine month old infants not having any constitutional rights or any rights as human beings, we are talking about being a mass murderer, aren't we? Isn't it interesting how quickly that one transitions into the other? I know this is a heavy way to start off the show today, but I was watching it last night. I was angry last night. I was angry. I'm angry at all the people that think that Hillary is some kind of savior, that she's so great, that she's wonderful. Are they delusional? I'm not delusional about Trump. I just can't have this woman Hillary Clinton. I just won't be a part of it. I'll just do what I can to prevent it. What little insignificant nothing I can do to stop her from being president. That's what I will do. With full awareness of the fact that Donald Trump, I mean, I could have done a better job debating Hillary Clinton when I was in the eighth grade. And I'm not exaggerating. All right. We'll come back after the break. I've got a lot more. We're going to talk about this general. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. the Buck Sexton Show. Phone lines are open 888-900-3393. I want to hear from you today, team. What do you think about all this? About any of this? Whatever your thoughts are in general. I don't know. Call and tell me what you had for breakfast. You guys just cheer me up. So just hearing from you is what I want. Uh, Frank in Pennsylvania. You're on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome. Shields high, Buck. Shields high, buddy. Hey, I... I've enjoyed a lot of Ken Burns' work, but for him to not know that there wasn't a 216-year progression of, of the <laughs> yeah. transition of peaceful transition of power uh, in the presidency, he would have had to have forgotten about the Civil War, which was his biggest documentary success ever. Yeah, it, isn't it? Isn't it ironic, astounding, and striking. jaw-dropping all at the same time? Yeah, I just wanted to throw that out at you. Yeah, look, I, I hear you. I mean, the, the stuff that he's saying, though, that this is now what gets you smiles and nods of approval at fancy cocktail parties. Trump is, I mean, these people know nothing, by the way, about the rise of the Third Reich, really. Uh, they don't actually understand the economic and political circumstances. They don't know the history of the First World War. They don't know the history of what led to the First World War. They don't know the history of what happened between the First and Second World Wars. So the notion that somehow they're making this... Uh, learned comparison with Trump's tactics. This is just now, this is a thing that is parroted by people who are desperate to sound sophisticated at a time when 
to defend Hillary Clinton is to defend the indefensible. I, I, that, that entire debate last night was indefensible. Hey, me, uh, yeah, day, you bro. know what? Hey, Frank, man, thanks for calling in. It's good to hear from you, bro. Shields high. I'll give you, this is what I, this is what I thought last night about that. I, I bang this out in rapid fashion, so uh, this is how I write when I'm annoyed, apparently. Um, the final presidential, this is on CNN.com, if any of you are curious to see it there. Uh, the final presidential debate was as expected. Nasty, brutish, and not short enough. Trump won, though it was likely too close a call to impact the polls. While the policy substance was probably the strongest of all three face-offs, it was overshadowed by the plentiful personal attacks. Nothing new was learned about either candidate. It was a debate, uh, it was a debate that was more instructive as a microcosm of a generally dispiriting election race than as a moment to change the minds of undecided American voters. Perhaps the melee on stage was inevitable. We have reached the saturation point for mudslinging in this election. A public contest for whom should be the next commander-in-chief shouldn't feel like the most crass, ungallant reality TV show imaginable, yet here we are. No matter what the final outcome on, on, on November 8th, both major parties' top-of-ticket candidates have largely deprived this country of a substantive uh, public debate on policies that matter. Instead, we've all been privy to an all-out partisan media war with unrepentant Hillary enablers on one side and Trump at all cost defenders on the other, though a vast majority of the chattering class cling to Madame Secretary's side. This battle of propaganda machines will churn on unmercifully until Election Day, and whichever candidate ends up winning the White House, he or she will have been ethically sullied and politically hobbled along the way. The debate was merely reflective of these unfortunate realities. That's how I feel about the debate. The ambulance they're sending right now, by the way, is not for me, although it's going to sound like it's coming right under my window because I think it's going to. So apologies for that. The only downside of the Freedom Hut's mobility and location is that I have to deal with New York City in the background, too. Although I love it here. It's been beautiful this week. This is my town. As crazy as it is. So that's how I felt about the debate. Uh, I, I think that Trump missed some enormous openings. Um, I think that he's just not good at this. And there were some points at which he should have scored much more than he did. Um, and I was very frustrated by it all. He doesn't force Hillary to actually answer the question. I mean, there were some points last night where you could tell Hillary doesn't want to tell the American people the truth about her on that stage in that way. It's not the primary. And the media can't cover for her if she says it on that stage. She doesn't want them to know that she thinks that a baby isn't a baby until, a, until it's out of the womb. She doesn't want to go on record, really, and say it in those words. She'll dance around and make it clear that's what she believes, but she won't say it. She won't make it so that there, it's an inescapable truth. She won't say that she wants to try to regulate the Second Amendment out of existence. She knows she can't get it repealed, but she might be able to make it irrelevant. She wants to do that. Uh, there are many points, and, and of course, on issues like her corruption, uh, on her lack of integrity, those are places where she is incapable of defending herself. There's nothing she could do that would sound like anything other than a hodgepodge of lies and misdirections. A truly odious human being. I don't know if the polls are right, she's going to win. I, I, I know, guys, maybe, maybe the polls are wrong and... 
There's still time, but time is running short. Oliver in Utah, you're on the Buck Saxon Show. Welcome. Shields high, Buck. Shields high, Oliver. Can I tell you what I would like to see in a debate? And I know this would never happen in a million years. Sure. 100 questions and only yes or no answers. That seems... Both candidates... Okay, go ahead. Both candidates get the same question. Each have a chance to answer yes or no. Okay, why do you think this would... Okay, uh, I understand this is your premise. Why do you think this would be effective, or what would we learn from this that we, we couldn't learn from the current format? Well, the current format, all they do is talk about what they want to talk about. So... Yeah, so they use misdirection. I mean, Hillary, Hillary was asked, do you believe in a living constitution? And at no point did she answer that question. Exactly. Because to admit yes on that no. stage you believe in a living constitution is to say you think the constitution says whatever you want it to mean whenever you want it to mean that. That's what that means. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. A simple yes or no question or a yes or no answer. Yeah. That, well, pe- as a millennial, that's what I want to hear. Yes or no. Just answer the damn question. Well, well, then it would really come down to what you know, what are the uh, <laughs> who gets to ask the questions, right? If it, if you turn it into a sort of court format like that, where it's you know answer yes or no, the questions become very important. The moderators become very important. By the way, I thought Chris Wallace did an excellent job last night, and it's not because he's I from Fox, and I obviously like Fox. I thought I thought he did a very good. You know, he he kept it moving. He was fair That's on right. time. He didn't take any guff, but he let the, he let the candidates be the candidates, and I thought he did a very good job and. He asked real que- He asked questions also that weren't, you know, that weren't like, so when did you stop beating your wife? But he also touched on issues that were very sensitive. But at least he asked them in a way where it was up to the candidate to take them in a certain direction instead of the audience already being led in that direction. Right. I mean, it, it was uh, it, it's a, it's a, an issue of nuance, but I think he handled it very, very well. I, I was um, overall, I thought Chris Wallace did an excellent job. So we'll see. We'll see, my friend. Thank you for calling in from Utah. It's good to talk to you, Oliver. Shields high. Uh, Joe in San Fran. What's up, buddy? Joe? Shields high, Buck. Shields high. Um, well, if a uh, baby can be killed one day before it's born, then I think that it, uh, you, you have to come to the conclusion that it can be killed one day after it's born as well. And that is, uh, that's Hillary Clinton's position. And I do, I have a confession to make. I used to listen to NPR, but they were so bad during the 2008 election that I had to stop. And there were three things, three or four particular uh, things that I heard on NPR that uh, made me stop listening. One was um, listening to the author, Sam Cannonhouse, who I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he had recently come out with a book, um, you know, analyzing the conservative whack jobs like me in the world. And, he stated on NPR that uh, there's a birther movement and you don't have Glenn Beck and Bill O'Reilly denouncing it when it uh, at this time, both of them had been publicly and endlessly saying birtherism is not, uh, you know, it's false. It's, it's a sham. It's fake. Both of them. So that's the quality of their, and the, the, the host didn't know and didn't say anything. One of the other ones was another show, and I don't remember which one it was, but a caller to the show called in to say to the host, we have to make sure that there is never another country like America. 
in, on this earth, to which the host was unfazed. And then the third thing that happened was um, that I was listening to, I think it was maybe All Things Considered, and someone like Nina Totenberg, I even remember the names of the hosts, um, they were talking about the two potential first ladies, uh, then Cindy McCain and Michelle Obama, and they went on and on and on about how great Michelle Obama was. And Cindy McCain, who has had her problems, but also uh, operates a charity that does a lot of uh, wonderful work in India. The McCains who have adopted at least one uh, really disadvantaged child, maybe more than that, I don't remember. The only thing that they could say good about her was, well, at least she didn't drop the baby. And that's NPR in a nutshell. Uh, circling back to what you were saying about Hillary Clinton, I didn't watch the debate. Uh, yesterday I did watch Hillary's America by Dinesh D'Souza. I would really recommend that movie. And I'm thinking about trying to send it to some of my potential Hillary voter friends, although that would certainly be the end of that friendship such as it is. But listening to, you know, what you said, what you said this morning and um, thinking back over the campaign, we've heard a lot about finding common ground with our opposition. And if there is common ground, if, if there is common ground with people like Ken Burns and Hillary Clinton, it's, in my case, it might be one square inch and maybe less of common ground. And politics, we often say that let's keep politics out of this. But politics is the public manifestation of our beliefs. And it's, uh, you know, on, on every level, your, your relationship with your neighborhood, uh, with your neighbor is uh, to some extent, um, there, there's a political nature to that in that, you know, you treat him in a way that you believe you should treat him and he treats you likewise, he or she treats you likewise. So having said all that, I think to myself that, uh, you know, the ability to find common ground and, um, and, and remove, say that, well, you can't put your beliefs into this. Everything we do is driven by a belief in one form or another. You know, Ken Burns believes that, that, uh, Joe, I need um, you to come to a conclusion here cause we got to run to a break. So please. Okay. okay. So I, I'm just saying, I guess, uh, you know, Hillary is vile. You're right. Where's the common ground? Feel free to riff on that and have a have a great afternoon. Rock and roll, Joe. Shields high. Thank you. Team, we'll be right back. Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to the Buck Sexton Show. Oh, they say it was the moment Trump lost the whole night. Do we have it when he said that he may he won't or he may or may not accept the results of the debate? If you have it, let me know. Um, okay, fine, doesn't matter because I just said it. He talked. He was asked the question: Would you accept the result? Why is he being asked to accept the result of an election that hasn't happened? Is is it really inconceivable that there could be cheating on election day? I, I know I'm sort of out of the mainstream on this one. And people say, oh, it's undermining democracy. It's undermining our whole system. He didn't say it isn't legitimate. That's not what I heard, at least. He said, you know, we'll see. Yeah, it hasn't happened yet. We'll see. By the way, I mean, you know, my, my father is a red uh, 
thousands of pages on Lyndon Johnson. Lyndon Johnson cheated and stole elections and became president of the United States. This actually happens, okay? This isn't like some theory that people have conjured up out of nowhere. I'm not saying that Hillary is stealing it. It'd be very hard for her to do that. I think it's very unlikely. But what about, I think it's kind of a pointless question. I actually, I, I, w- I would ding the moderator on this one a little bit, although I know a lot of people have been posing it, and so perhaps he has to sort of reflect that public conversation over the course of the debate. Why do you have to accept the legitimacy of something that has not yet happened? Why is that the case? Can someone explain that to me? I, I don't understand. M- maybe it'll be fine. I mean, of course, Trump could have handled this in a much more deft fashion than he did. He could have said, my expectation is that I'll is that the election will be free and fair, just like almost all U.S. elections have been. And I assume that, you know, it'll be fine. And leave it at that. Instead, we're all told, oh, he's undermining the system. People are talking about a civil war will happen. And what does it mean to not accept anyway? If Trump says, yeah, I don't accept it, whatever. All right, everybody, have fun with President Hillary. That, that, does, that, does anyone care? I mean, we'll, we'll, in the next segment, we have some time. We'll play some of what Al Gore says. I, mean, I, I remember when I was in college, all the, the bumper stickers and the, uh, the people would put on doors because you know, a lot of us didn't have cars. Uh, but all the stuff about how Al Gore really won the election. It was a stolen election. This became a mantra on the left that the 2000 election was stolen from Al Gore. You don't think that undermined the presidency of George, George W. Bush? You don't think that there was animosity that was built up as a result of that, that played out over the course of his presidency? I mean, the hatred for Bush was, look, Bush disappointed me in many ways. Bush is not a deeply impressive guy. Honestly, I think he's a man who tries. I think he's well-intentioned. I think he has some leadership and executive qualities. I think he's also a little spoiled, was given a lot, and sometimes lost his nerve. That's what I think of Bush. You know, imperfect, as any politician would be. Better than Al Gore, who is just a disaster on so many levels. But I just think it's interesting that we've been told now that the, the really horrific moment in this debate came. I and mean, the moment that was just, it was just too much was when Donald Trump didn't, before the election has even happened, say he would accept the result of the election what if what if something happens and also what does accepting it even mean he's not going to be one thing if he tells everybody to storm the barrack you know storm the barricades and seize the bastille but maybe he just is going to be a crybaby about it who cares we'll be back in a few the buck sexton show only on the blaze radio network Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, team, welcome back to the Hut. We are joined by the formidable, the one and only Sean Davis. He is co-founder of the Federalist. His latest takes Hillary to task for one of her craziest moments last night. It's on thefederalist.com. No, Hillary Clinton, the Supreme Court's Heller decision wasn't about toddlers. No, indeed. Sean, great to have you. Thank you for having me. Uh, so let's just play for a moment what Hillary said when asked about the Second Amendment. Uh, play clip two. You mentioned the Heller decision and what I was saying 
uh, that you referenced, Chris, was that I disagreed with the way the court applied the Second Amendment in that case, because what the District of Columbia was trying to do was to protect toddlers from guns. And so they wanted people with guns to safely store them. And the court didn't accept that reasonable regulation. I was upset because, unfortunately, dozens of toddlers uh, injure themselves, even kill people with guns, because, unfortunately, not everyone who um, has loaded guns in their homes takes appropriate precautions. What the heck is she talking about? It was so absurd that I had to pause the debate on my DVR and rewind it and listen again because I thought there's no way on earth Hillary Clinton just said Heller was about toddlers. Um, So for your listeners who might not be familiar with it, the Heller case is the Supreme Court decision from um, 08 or 09 um, that said, yes, there is a constitutional right for individuals to keep and bear arms. And the Heller, the man who's the appellant in the case, his name is Dick Anthony Heller. He is not a toddler. Um, he was not trying to get guns for toddlers. He was a 66-year-old police officer in Washington, D.C., who asked uh, D.C. bureaucrats to give him a permit or a license to have a gun, and they said, no, you don't get to. Nobody here gets to. And the Supreme Court even characterized D.C.'s gun regime at the time as a total ban on handguns. The word toddler appears nowhere in the Supreme Court's decision, either in the majority or, or dissenting opinion, appears nowhere in the oral argument, from either the people arguing for or against Heller, it is a complete fabrication that Hillary cooked up out of nowhere last night. I, I don't even know what she was trying to say. You know, you, usually it's oh, okay. She's pivoting or she's going in a different direction or uh, the, the, trying to inject toddlers into this. I mean, I suppose it's because part of the DC regulation at the time, which by the way is a regulation they have here in New York City too, is that even if you had a firearm, which you couldn't have, but if you had one, it would have to either be disassembled or in a state where it has a trigger lock on the gun. In New York, you also have to have it in a lock box with a trigger lock on the gun and ammunition in a separate lock box. Side note for everybody to see how crazy things are here. So really in New York, if you are a legal handgun permit owner, your best option is to throw the lockbox you have with your handgun in it at the burglar or home invader or whatever. Nonetheless, I, I, I don't understand the connection to toddler. Is it just this knee-jerk, okay, uh, I'm about protecting the children? Because I think that she says, I support the Second Amendment. The way, and yeah, I'll say it, a lot of Democrats say they support the troops. They know they have to say it, but they don't really mean it. Oh, no, she, it was a blatant lie from her. She does not support the Second Amendment at all. And what I found remarkable about, remarkable about it is that she didn't even have the spine or the courage to say, you know what, I disagreed with the Heller decision because I don't think you have an individual right to keep and carry a gun in your own home to protect yourself and your family. You know what, it, I think that's insane, but at least she would get some courage credit there for saying what she actually believed. But no, that's too much for Hillary. She can't ever tell the truth. So instead, she decided to invent a lie about how a case where a 66-year-old cop was denied the right to own a gun, was somehow about toddler gun ownership. I still am I'm waiting for someone to try. I'm waiting for that to, that to be Vox-plained to me. Uh, I, I want to see what the, what the Vox-planation is on this, because it was a moment last night where, I mean, I, I tweeted out and it happened. It was just incoherent. It just made, it made no sense. It was like she turned into Jar Jar Binks all of a sudden, and it was just a bunch of noises and irritating gestures. 
but I guess that's Hillary for a lot of the debate. Uh, I also wanted to uh, ask you about how – well, I blame Trump for some of this too, um, but she dodged on the chair on the issue of corruption with the Clinton Foundation in s- such an obvious way. Play clip seven. Why isn't it what Mr. Trump calls pay to play? Well, everything I did as Secretary of State was in furtherance of uh, uh, our country's interests and our values. The State Department has said that. I think that's been proven. But I am happy. In fact, I am thrilled to talk about the Clinton Foundation because it is a world-renowned charity. And I am so proud of the work that it does. You know, I could talk for the rest of the debate. I know I don't have the time to do that. But just briefly... Uh, the Clinton Foundation made it possible for 11 million people around the world with HIV-AIDS to afford treatment, and that's about half of all the people in the world who are getting treatment. In partnership with the American uh, Health Association, we have made environments and schools healthier Sec- for Secretary kids, including Clinton, healthier respect- lunches. Respectfully, this is, a, this is an open discussion. Well, it is an open discussion. I, I understand. And, and a specific you, question went to pay for play. Do you want to well, talk but about there that? Is well, no, think, look, but there is no evidence, but there is a lot of evidence it's been very about well the very good work and, it's and a criminal the high enterprise that and the so many It's a criminal enterprise. Uh, Sean, Trump didn't land the punches here that he needed to. But I do think in an odd way, Hillary really did answer the question because the Clinton Foundation, she she skipped over and in a sense she conceded. Yeah, of course, there's a lot of shady stuff going on, but we do some nice charity work on the side. Well, so here's what's fascinating about that. She she actually lied there. Um, What she's talking about is actually called the Clinton Health Access Initiative. And it's an organization that was spun off from the Clinton Foundation long before she ever showed up uh, as a board member at the Clinton Foundation. Uh, CHAI, as it's called, Clinton Health Access Initiative, CHAI, was the brainchild of Ira Magaziner, who himself said of it, this is not a charity, this is a commercial proposition. Hillary Clinton never had a single thing to do with CHAI distributing AIDS drugs. She had nothing to do with distributing pharmaceuticals nationwide. When Hillary Clinton showed up at the doorstep of the Clinton Foundation after leaving leaving the uh, Secretary of State's job, she used it to shake down cash from foreign governments um, to just have like a nice little uh, nonprofit tax exempt slush fund for her husband and her daughter and herself. Um, In 2014, according to the organization's own tax filing, 6% of their budget went towards charitable grants. 6%. And that was somehow even less than what they did in 2013 which was 10%. Now, to your point about Trump, uh, my biggest beef with him this entire campaign is a complete inability uh, to ever land a punch that doesn't end up smashing himself in the face. I mean, the Heller question, this, her defending partial birth abortion, he, his, his apparently chronic inability to do debate prep, to study, to memorize attack lines, just left it wide open for her. She could have said whatever she wanted, and she would have gotten away with it last night. It was incredibly frustrating uh, that the door was wide open, I thought, as well, the moment that she started to go after Trump. And she really I mean, she had you can see the Hillary Cyborg accessing certain data cards. You know, it's like, up oh, here we go. Let's get into the he's called Mexicans rapists and he and he dishonored the Khan family. And he said John McCain was, you know, she gets into the sort of the rhythm and it's just the attacks we've heard all along. And you would think that Trump, who does have a huge ego and is supposed to be good at the insults, would come back with something. Trump is actually not that good at the insults. I started to think last night 
he is unwilling to go as personal as he yeah he'll call her he'll say that she's on criminal stuff and whatever but everyone says that he won't go personal personally after her in a way that goes after her her character and when she was attacking him on the the women and the you know the the groping and all that stuff He's not going to respond with your husband is a rapist? I mean, he's really not going to say that? I, I don't understand how he cannot say that, Sean. Well, I, I think maybe, you know, this, this whole election, all these... Oh, and, and you covered for him. I don't mean to interrupt you, Sean, but and you covered for your <laughs> rapist husband. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, I just imagine what would have happened in these debates if before each one his staff went to him and said, just imagine Hillary Clinton is Paul Ryan. Pretend that's Paul Ryan up there. Now go destroy him. It would have been a totally different world. I mean, if he spent as much energy and effort and time attacking Hillary Clinton as he and his allies do going after Paul Ryan, his own party speaker, imagine where we would be right now. But he just has this you know, constitutional inability to land a devastating punch on that woman. You or I, all your viewers, any one of us with no prep, given what we know and what we read and what we follow every day, could have just dealt her a complete uh, crushing blow at any point last night just because we're, you know, we're vaguely aware of the facts. We don't have to go do a whole bunch of, of prep or briefing books. Trump, who is trying to become the most powerful person in the world, couldn't even take the time to prep himself to get ready for some very obvious punches and counterpunches from Hillary. Do you I, – I, I know this is kind of a, an out-there question, Sean, and, and you don't know and I don't know. I'm asking you to sort of look into a man's soul, which, as George W. found out, is always a dubious idea. Uh, do you think he really wants the job? I'm not sure he really wants the job. Well, he's not doing the things you would expect somebody who wanted that job to do. He hasn't really set up a real campaign. He's not running real ads. He has no real ground organization. He is running his entire campaign basically from his Twitter account. I just, you know, maybe he does want it, and he's just so incompetent that he doesn't know how to steer, constructively steer his desires into uh, productive effort. Or maybe this whole thing was just a vanity exercise from him that just kind of got blown out of control, and uh, suddenly he ended up running for president and being on that debate stage and didn't really have a plan for what to do next. Maybe he was the dog who caught the car. Also, is this is this statement... Uh, completely fair or going a step too far? After watching last night's debate, it could be said that Hillary Clinton believes that a, an unborn child can be killed up to and including the moment of delivery. Uh, no, I think that's fair. It, what did she say last night that, that makes or gave the impression that she supports any restrictions on abortion? She I mean, I, I think she, I saw... She, go ahead, go she ahead. criticized Trump's uh, uh, completely accurate description of partial birth abortion. I mean, she was gaslighting on what partial birth uh, abortion is. I, I got no sense from her answer last night that she favors any limits on abortion whatsoever. I, I think that's the most I – mean, people always talk about disqualifying and – and, and, I, and I started out the show and I said, I understand that people get into, you know, we, we always have to talk about rape and incest. When does life begin? Is it moment of conception? Is it, it, th those are discussions that reasonable people can have, right? Whether one comes down very strongly on one side or the other. I'm just, just putting that aside for a second. A reasonable person can't say that a, a baby at nine months is not a baby. And for a, a, a presidential candidate who is likely to be the next president of the United States to take that position on a national stage is... It is like the moral condemnation of America before our very eyes. And I'm not some fire and brimstone guy, but I was like, this is sick. I, I want her to answer, Hillary Clinton, do you believe that the following should be legal? 
should it be legal for an abortionist to take a 39-week-old unborn baby uh, and perform a partial birth, dilation, and extraction uh, abortion on her? Should it be legal to take that 39-week-old baby, uh, rip her partially from her mother's womb, stab her skull with scissors and crush it, and then vacuum her brains out so that uh, she doesn't have to be born? Should that be legal? Because the answer she gave last night certainly suggests she thinks that should be legal. Her uh, abortionist uh, activist allies like Planned Parenthood and, and NARAL um, and National Abortion Federation, they all think that should be legal. She ought to defend that. That is murder. That is infanticide. It's disgusting. And no decent person supports it. Yeah, this is not where – and by the way, I, th- I think the polls show, not that polls really sh- are, are determinative on this issue, as, as you and I both know. It's, it's a moral question. It's not a, well, we all think this question, or, or rather, you know, this is a majority vote question. Uh, like 70 to 80 percent of the American people are opposed. I mean, it's a huge majority of people are like, no, 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 third trimester abortion is a no-go. Uh, Ramesh uh, Panuru last night tweeted out that Martin Haskell said that 80 percent of the partial birth abortions he performed were purely elective. So Hillary's whole dance about life of the mother is just a dodge. That's just a dodge. She will not come out and say that she's opposed to this procedure. Uh, I think it's I think it is uh, quite honestly sadistic. I mean, I think it's deeply immoral and that there isn't any, any revulsion from the press corps over that is a is a huge indictment, I think, of where our culture is morally. Oh, it's why the press never wanted to talk about Kermit Gosnell. It's why The Washington Post now locked to Sarah Cliff. Uh, pretended it was a local crime story not worthy of coverage. Kermit Gosnell was uh, one of the nation's most infamous serial killers, and he did it from the confines of a Planned Parenthood clinic in Philadelphia. Um, he, he chopped off babies' heads. He kept them as trophies. He kept their arms and legs and feet and hands in freezers. Um, this man is the face of the abortion movement. Uh, and there's a reason Democrats and all their uh, little friends in the press don't want to talk about it is because they know it's horrifying. They know it reveals the true nature of abortion, of abortion, that it destroys an innocent, healthy, viable human life for no other reason than convenience. And the last thing they want to do is make that into a wedge issue that can be used against them and their abortion activist allies in the Democratic Party. So they pretend it never happened. They hope they'll never hear about it. And then they lie about what the procedure actually is. Is Hillary Clinton a morally odious human being, Sean? Absolutely. Just want to make sure. So that Trump. I gave you a chance. To... <laughs> well, fair enough. I think one is worse than the other, but uh, I wish it. I wish it weren't so. I, I I really do want to see the poll with um, Hillary Clinton versus like generic, a uh, generic American with no criminal background. I think generic American off the street might beat her at this point. I will vote for uh, Mr. Generic American any day. <laughs> like, just just take your chances with the first dude or woman who walks down the street, assuming no criminal record or, like, past history of violence versus Hillary. I would do it. I would do it in a heartbeat. <laughs> Sean Davis. Well, sorry, I was a little intense today, Sean, but, you know, you're, you're a good guy for that as well as the lighter stuff. We'll have you back when we've got some fun stuff to talk about. Sean Davis, everybody, co-founder of The Federalist. Uh, obviously, follow him on Twitter and check out his latest at thefederalist.com. You're the man, Sean. Thanks for calling in. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Buck. Uh, team, 888-900-3393 on the phones. Back in a few. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Radio Network. Oh, well, 
Trump is out there and he's at a rally and he's being Trump-like. We're supposed to think that the biggest moment of last night's debate was when he said he wasn't necessarily going to accept the outcome of the election. And then this morning or this afternoon, he comes out and says this. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to make a major announcement today. I would like to promise and pledge to all of my voters and supporters and to all of the people of the United States that I will totally accept the results of this great and historic presidential election if I win. If I win, there you go. Trump trolling all of the media, the Democratic Party, a lot of other people too. If I win, oh my! I mean, at this point, I feel like why not, right? He's he's already they're, they're going to say that he won't accept it no matter what, and even if he coming out and apologizing does him no good. But who cares? Who cares? And if, if he loses and says that he thinks it was a rigged election, or and what does that even mean? Also, we could parse. We can be Clintonian here. Is it rigged because the media is pushing so obviously for one candidate? Is it rigged in that way, or you know, how is it supposed to be rigged? But we're being told all the time, simultaneously, that <laughs> the election that to say the election is rigged is unpatriotic and un-American. Meanwhile, they're also complaining that Russia is trying to rig the election. So, which is it? Is, is it? Can it be rigged or not? Never mind the whole Al Gore. Ad- do we, oh, we'll, maybe we'll play that when we come back. The whole Al Gore aspect of all of this, which you remember that in 2000? Yeah. Uh, and all the things that have been said where they've talked about how they don't believe that he, uh, he he didn't really believe that he lost, even though the Supreme Court, he would accept the Supreme Court's decision as as final, I think, is the most that was the most magnanimous that Al Gore was able to be after losing the election. Not exactly uniting the country under the banner of freedom, America, and the Constitution. Not exactly. Uh, but that was all okay because it was, it was Al Gore. I thought Al Gore was going to be president. Do we just have a thing about electing losers as president of this country? Honestly. I mean, it's been a while, everybody. Think about it. When was the last time we had a president where you were like, that person is just so impressive. I mean, really impressive in terms of their accomplishments and character. And it's been a while. More coming. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Phone lines are open, team 888-900-3393. Hank in Jacksonville, Florida, what's up? Hey, Buck. Uh, I wanted to make a quick comment. Uh, I I always think the easiest thing to ask an abortion uh, person is, at what point in your granddaughter or your daughter's uh, pregnancy did you all stop calling in a fetus? Yeah, they, I mean, always, they probably won't you know, have an answer for you. Although it won't change their mind, Hank, as you know. But yeah. Well, I, I know, but they, you know, they always say it's not a child, it's not a baby, or anything like that. It's an object. It's 
you know, just growing inside the womb, you know. So that's one thing I always just think is interesting. At what point does it no longer become an inanimate object? Look, I, I find talking about a lot of times I'll be I'll be totally straight up with you. I find talking about abortion to be deeply depressing uh, and and bothersome. Um, oh, it I, is. I just I think I mean it is, and it doesn't mean we shouldn't do it and won't do it. But I'm just saying it's it's a very it's a very sad uh, and and gut wrenching subject. I do think though that there is a real obligation to point out that on this issue, I mean Hillary Clinton is an extremist, even among abortion yeah. proponents. She is an extremist. She's not in the mainstream. She is an extremist. But, and, and I agree. And, and the thing I, I can say is that I actually do. My whole family has a a personal side to this because my grandfather would not have been born if his mom, my great grandmother, would not have carried him to term. She died right after his, his giving birth to him. So all my aunts and uncles, I would not be here today if she did not think that he should have been born. Yeah. Life is precious, my friend. Thank you for calling in, yeah. Hank, from Jacksonville. Shields high, my man. Uh, all right. I want to talk this. I, I mentioned this a bit yesterday, and I'm just sort of not done with it, so you'll have to indulge me if you don't mind for a second, uh, because I think this is, a, this is showing us what's coming down the line with the Clintons. It is deeply disturbing, and everything that I have thought about the way that the Clinton email investigation and the DOJ uh, has come true. They have in no way surprised me with being more ethical or more decent than I had anticipated. They have been just as politicized, just as partisan as I had both thought they would and feared they would. Um, this prosecution of uh, James uh, General James Cartwright, uh, he, this guy is a career, he's uh, 67 years old, he's career Marine Corps. All right. He was what was he? A vice chairman of the, of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and he is now facing ruination of his reputation, incarceration, and it will overshadow uh, decades serving in the Marine Corps. Um, this is a guy who has a has a completely honorable record. He was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the U.S. Marine Corps in November of 1971. Okay. This guy spent his whole life, his whole life serving this country in a meaningful way, wearing the uniform. And now he faces prison time. He's been sitting in rooms with federal prosecutors. I'm sure his family has been put through hell, many sleepless nights for him, for them. And for what? Oh, they say that he leaked something to a reporter. Well, according to the reports that I've read, it was stuff that's already known. Or it was stuff that there were other sources for. So was he just confirming what was already known? Because if that's the standard for locking people up now, they better lock up a lot of people. Because the government takes the rather intellectually untenable position that even things that are widely publicly known are still classified. To the point of absurdity, right? The drone program is still classified. Oh, lock me up. But what you see is and i believe that this uh this is actually is it is it uh ayn rand who said that there's only so much the government i'm, I'm paraphrasing only so much the government can do to uh honest citizens so what they do is make criminals of everyone because they can do anything they want to criminals i think it's an ayn rand quote something along those lines it might even be a fake internet quote but it's still great because it's true you expand the discretion of the federal government in these matters such that anybody who works for the national security 
national it works in the national security industry is subject to the whims of executive branch pressure and politicization and when necessary there can be a sacrificial lamb somebody offered up in order to placate the masses in this case it's actually not to placate anybody really in this case it's to send a message I have told you all along that the because I saw when Hillary with all the emails and everything that we've talked so much about this and you're very up to speed. I know Hillary had classified information on her email server. She knew she did. She was trafficking classified information on an unsecure private server back and forth. This is a flagrant violation of federal law. She did it repeatedly. She did it over 100 times and she lied about it. She hit it. She tried to destroy it. She brought other people into this. There was conspiracy to destroy evidence. There was obstruction of justice. I mean, if the Department of Justice had wanted to, they could have made this into a decades in prison kind of situation for Hillary Clinton. And of course, they went in the far opposite direction of making it into nothing. No federal charges whatsoever. None. No charge. Not even a misdemeanor. Not even a suspension of clearance. Nothing for what she did. And I wish I could see what was redacted in those declared classified emails, because then I could tell you the real depths of this, uh, how exposed we really were, how exposed our national security secrets really were by this woman out of her own sense of being above the law. And yes, it was convenience. It was a convenience of I can break the law and get away with it. But you will recall, you will recall that there were these lawyers who deal in national security cases who came out and said, well, we will invoke the Hillary defense. And I kind of laughed and I said, no, 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 you don't understand. The Hillary defense only works for Hillary and those who are her surrogates, her cronies, her enablers. They have her umbrella of protection. They're sort of like those who would travel within the Mongol Empire and carried the seal of the Khan. I mean, you could mess with that person, but. When the Khan found out, he was going to come into your village and kill every living thing, so you probably didn't mess with that person, right? Hillary Clinton's seal protects people from the Department of Justice as well. But they had to, they had to go after somebody, make an example of somebody. Now, I know the timeline on this stretches back well before even the email situation. I know that people say this investigation was ongoing for a while. But don't you, don't, can't we all see that the decision here, uh, the decision to push this prosecution... And to publicize it at this time seems highly suspicious, doesn't it? It sends a message to all of us. And the message is, don't think for a second that you get the benefit of the doubt. We will lock up a career Marine, a decorated career Marine, for, by the way, not disclosing classified. That's not what he is being locked up for. And this is being being misreported all over the place. And I hate it. Because it's just, this is just like the Scooter Libby thing all over again. Scooter Libby did not disclose anyone's uh, classified covert identity. He did not do that. Or at least that's not what he was charged with. They, could, they, never, they never said they could prove that. He was not accused of that formally. He was accused of lying about a conversation with a journalist during the course of an exhaustive FBI investigation. Lying to the FBI, that and I think obstruction, which is a part of lying to the FBI. It's sort of they just pile on these things. That was the charge, or those were the charges. Still, many people don't know this. And it was obviously all very political. They were going after Cheney. Uh, 
he already knew that the leak came from somewhere else and it was an accidental leak. And guess what? You know, Valerie, whatever her name, uh, taking photos for Vanity Fair and cashing out. I don't think she was that worried about her, you know, assets that were burned or it was crap. All right. The whole thing was nonsense. And the media went for it. Hook, line and sinker. They were they were dragging the whole thing along. They were pushing it forward because it meant they could go after senior Bush administration officials, get them back for the Iraq war lies. A disgrace, by the way, disgrace for the Department of Justice. Uh, Patrick Fitzgerald, look, Andy McCarthy is a great guy. and You'll never hear me say a bad word about him on this show. A smart guy and a good guy. I don't know how he still respects Comey. I don't know how he respects Patrick Fitzgerald. I, I mean, that's uh, and he's we've had open discussions about both of them. And I give I give Andy a lot of credit for his loyalty. But I think that they are two. Uh, I think they are two. Those individuals, Fitzgerald and Comey, uh, very powerful government officials who have been corrupted, uh, who have lost their way, who lost their way and showed that they were partisan headhunters or protectors in the case of Comey. And so the charge for Scooter Libby was lying to the FBI. The charge for this general is also lying to the FBI. They could, he's pled guilty to this. They could make this go away. They they could have given him a much lesser, you know, much lesser, um, charge you know misdemeanor uh mishandling of classified or something you know they could slap him on the wrist they're not going to though why is that they have to set an example so they don't set an example with hillary clinton they don't set an example with david petraeus either by the way they find a career marine that nobody has really who doesn't pay close attention to national security issues has heard of nobody outside the military would know this guy really it's not like a household name. I know for you, he is because you guys know a lot of stuff. But for most people, they wouldn't know. And it's it sets the tone right away. It also gives you an ability to compare the Department of Justice. And this is what I talked with Andy yesterday. And I know this is a little bit of a repeat of what we hit on yesterday. But this it, it enrages me. Enrages me. If it was If what he did was so bad, they should get him on the leaking of the classified. But if they did that... Then the defense could be, well, was this already known? Who said what to whom? What, what, what do these journalists already know? If they already knew, what's the national security implication of him being like, oh, yeah, that thing that, that, thing that you heard, yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. Does that, that makes him a bad guy now. That make, oh, he's bucky. he can neither confirm nor deny. It's not always that obvious. It's not that clear. President Obama was, I know, he's the president. He can do whatever he wants. President Obama was speaking about the drone program in Pakistan on like a Google Hangout once. Wasn't supposed to be doing that. This stuff can happen. Sometimes people say things. No ill intent. And if there's no ill intent and no one is harmed in the process and no one has been reckless, you would think that there would be a lot of room for discretion. But no, the discretion in this case went against. The tie went against the runner, if you will. Because they want to make it. People say, oh, he's Obama's favorite. Obama's favorite general. You're seeing all of that out there in the press. That is a huge signal, by the way. That they're doing this for political purpose. They're trying to show you, yes, that's right. There's not two systems of justice. We'll even prosecute Obama's favorite general. No, they'll prosecute a Marine. They'll prosecute somebody who spent his whole life actually defending the country and meant the country no harm and did the country no harm, but lied to an FBI agent because who knows how long that interrogation lasted? Who knows how many questions they asked him? Maybe, as has happened in other instances, he was, unfortunately, foolish enough to think that the FBI and him could have a constructive conversation about this 
And he didn't have a lawyer present. I don't know. I have to look at this. I have to look even deeper into the case file. That's happened to others, though. They sit down with the FBI. They don't think they've done anything wrong. And all of a sudden, they get jammed up. And next thing you know, they've lied to the FBI. And now they're done. They think they can have a friendly. There's unfortunately, unless you're a Clinton, there's no such thing as a friendly chat with the FBI. Unless you're one of Hillary's, you know, Hillary's aides and you have special immunity handed to you. No such thing as a friendly chat with the FBI. Never. You say nothing. Through a lawyer. Thank you very much. And I'm sorry to my friends. I have friends in the FBI. I have friends who, well, used to work in DOJ. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, but they're still there. I'm sorry that their institutions have been so sullied. But they have been. It's top down. It affects everybody there. It affects their perceptions of their jobs and their mission. And it certainly affects the perceptions of citizens who pay attention. This is what you're going to get under a Clinton administration, everyone. A politicized FBI and DOJ that makes examples of people, that goes after people, and that dares you to stand up to the power that they've accumulated. Just wait till that first IRS audit comes That's mysteriously out of nowhere to some of the administration's biggest critics. Oh, it's just randomly generated. They like to throw a they like to throw a marine under the they'll throw a marine under the bus, but not Cheryl Mills, not Huma Abedin. They've got the aura of protection. We'll be right back. The Buck Sexton Show. Discover more at theblaze.com slash radio. The Blaze Radio Network. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Uh, we had a little montage we pulled together of people who don't accept election results or question election results. We're going to play some of it for you. Go. I don't think that George W. Bush won the election uh, in 2000. Jimmy Carter. I guess that goal because I, th- I think that he probably lost Florida and also that nationwide. Al Gore won the election. He won the popular vote, uh, and he won the vote in Florida. There is significant doubt as to whether all the legal votes have been counted. I am very troubled by a lot of the stories that have been reported about uh, a roadblock on the way to one precinct, uh, questions raised about uh, various uh, activities there. Well, there were uh, more than enough votes to make the difference that were apparently thrown into the the applications for ballots uh, were thrown into the trash can by the supervisor of elections there. I actually did exactly that and asked for a full recount of the entire state. Uh, and it was rejected. Your vote really, really, really counts. A lot. All right, so you get the idea, right? I mean, it's fine for Democrats to be like, well, I don't think all the legal votes have been counted. I think there are really there are outstanding questions about the 2000 election. That That's fine. But but before the votes have even been cast for Trump to come out and say, and now he's obviously just trolling, he's messing with people, saying that only if he wins. But that's a, a crime against democracy? Really? I feel like a lot of people just need to chill a little bit here. It's, it's going to be okay, all right? If he loses, you know what's going to happen? Hillary's going to be president. That's the worst thing that happens. There's no other thing that happens. I, pr- I promise you, okay? I, 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 I will stake my uh, whatever I can stake on it. More coming. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.
Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is The Buck Sexton Show. All right, team, welcome back. We're joined by Matt Walsh. He is a writer, Blaze contributor. His latest on TheBlaze.com is The Rule of Law Cannot Survive with a Crook Like Hillary Clinton in the White House. Amen. Great to have you, Matt. Thanks for calling in. Great to be here. Thank you. Uh, so Hillary Clinton is a threat on policy levels. She's obviously uh, a deeply morally odious person based just on what she said last night on the abortion issue. But we've talked about that a lot today on the show. And I know you have a column on that, too. Uh, on the Blaze.com, people want to write that or uh, read that. Uh, I want to ask you about how the rule of law you think doesn't survive. I, I totally agree. I just want to hear you make the case. Yeah, I think it, it's not it's not just the fact that her administration will be so scandal-plagued and there'll be just be another scandal every other day that we're hearing about and all the laws that she's going to break when she's in the White House. We know that that's going to happen. But I think the fact, the fact that we know it, the fact that we know going into it that she's a criminal and that she's committed these various crimes and we know about them in great detail, and there are plenty that we don't know, of course, as well, but we know about these crimes and we know that she got away with it. So... You know, she gets in there, and, and it's her job fundamentally to protect the law, to, to make sure that the law is enforced, yet we know that she's someone who has no respect for the law at all herself. And so I think that that undermines the law itself, and, and, and people are going to start to say to themselves, I'm not saying that they necessarily should say this, but what people will ultimately say is, you know, we've got someone in charge of the law who doesn't follow it herself, doesn't apply to her, why should it apply to me? And that's why, and that's why you find in, in these lawless dictatorships um, – the only thing that keeps things together, because people don't have respect for the law in lawless dictatorships because they're lawless. So the only, the only way that the dictators can keep things together is just through oppression and fear. And so I, I'm worried that, that uh, with respect for the law completely gone, that that's what she's going to resort to. Well, that's absolutely right. And, you know, Orwell, I think it was in Politics in the English Language, but in one of his essays mentioned that what really separated out, and this was, of course, in the 1940s, what separated out Englishmen from other people was this idea that whether it was a lord or the, you know, the most sort of lowborn peasant, just your, your random guy on the street, they all had a sense of the law as something in Great Britain that mattered, that was real, and that they respected even though they knew it was imperfect. There was some basic sense of the law keeps all of this together. And whether you were a shopkeeper, a shepherd or in the House of Lords, you would you, you did have a respect for that. I think we're entering a period in this country now based on what we are seeing from the DOJ, from the FBI, from the federal law enforcement authorities, where we will obey only because of the threat of force, not out of respect for these institutions or quite honestly for the law they purport to defend. Yeah, I think so. And the way, you know, sometimes people have different theories about why do people follow the law and, and the way people talk about it, it, sometimes they make it sound like, well, the only reason why we follow the law is because we don't want to get in trouble and you take the law away and, and everyone we're going to resort to cannibalism within 15 seconds because that, that's our, our true natural state. But I agree with you that that's, that's not actually the case, that, that at least up until now, and this has been dwindling, and I think Hillary Clinton will utterly destroy it, but, you know, I... But, up until now, there's been we, we do have that respect for the fact that something is the law, and we all want to be. We talk about being law-abiding citizens. That's something we all, maybe not all of us, we have criminals, but most people they aspire to be that. And but you put Hillary Clinton in there, I think it's out the window. It's just, it's it's become absurd now with 
you know, the things we're finding out from some of the releases from the FBI and the WikiLeaks, I mean, you find out that the, that the, the State Department, someone, a senior official at the State Department, tried to bribe the FBI to get them to rechange some of the class, change some of the classifications on some of the emails. And, uh, and Barack Obama comes out and, and says, well, the controversy over that is overblown. Overblown, it, you, the State Department tried to bribe the FBI. Now, now that's overblown. So it's just, it's, it's gotten to, it's already at the level of absurdity, and she's not even in office yet. So imagine when she gets into office, um, how, how ridiculous it's going to get. Well, yeah, she'll she'll have even greater sway and and power, obviously. And, and I have to say, this uh, prosecution of this of this general who is uh, vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, so really number two in the U.S. military, he's being prosecuted for lying to the FBI, which is fascinating because if he were part of the sort of Clinton inner circle, maybe he would have gotten the oh, well, we'll give you immunity before you even talk to the FBI. It just shows the disparity in treatment that exists. Where even if you're not guilty of an underlying crime, oftentimes federal authorities will get you in the process, right? Destroying evidence, lying, any of those things become criminal offenses separately or separate from whatever the underlying investigation is trying to get at. Hillary was even if even if the stuff with the email wasn't smoking gun, which it was, they gave her a pass on all of that and all of her people. It is unprecedented treatment. And I've had federal prosecutors here on the show that say that, yeah, this is crazy. Yeah, we're talking about how the average citizen, you know, how are they going to react to having a lawless president? But, yeah, just think about before we even get to the average citizen, think about people that are in the intelligence community, people that work for the Defense Department, work for the NSA, whatever. Uh, how And they're going to be expected to follow all these very strict, you know, need, need, need to be strict, but necessarily strict uh, laws on, on, on how to protect, protect the confidentiality of these documents and the things they're doing. And they're supposed to follow all that when they know the president of the United States uh, should be in prison for for breaking these these rules and protocols. It's uh, you know, so I think I think the kind of the chaos will start at the top and start in government um, with with people in government basically saying, well, I guess, you know, I guess it doesn't matter now. We can do whatever we want. And then I think that will kind of trickle down to the rest of the, the citizenry. And <clears throat> I kind of, you know, sometimes the way people talk about. But Hillary Clinton will get into office, and then it'll be the end of life as we know it. And some of it is the apocalyptic stuff is a little bit overblown. But this it, this is something that I worry about: is the the rule of law and and, and what effect that will have on, on on the rest of us. I mean, it, it's a, it's a very real concern. I think that I think that Hillary is going to look. We already had President Obama with a weaponized IRS, and we know this. This is a fact. This is not. So this is not a conspiracy. They they've admitted that this was happening. And then they just sort of said, well, but nobody's really because it's a big, amorphous, flabby bureaucracy. Nobody's really responsible for anything. I think Hillary is going to take it a step further. I think Hillary is going to be using the Department of Justice, the IRS. I mean, this is sort of the, the Clintonian way to leverage the apparatus, the government apparatus that's at your disposal for score settling and 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 that does really that does really concern me and 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 everybody else that i think who looks at this long enough because they are there's nothing to indicate that they are above that and everything actually indicates that that is the future we're heading towards if she becomes the next president yeah to make matters worse um she she's gonna feel like she has to she's already inclined to resort to that kind of thing to uh getting her you know her her will across by force but she's gonna feel like she has to because She's going to be an. She's going to have no. It's going to be very interesting 
that we will very likely have a president who wins in a landslide, but who has no mandate whatsoever because she'll win in a, she might win in a landslide because Donald Trump is Donald Trump, but everybody hates her. Nobody trusts her, even her own, even her own, uh, even her own supporters. And so she's going to get in there, and uh, immediately half of the country is going to question her legitimacy, question uh, everything about her. So, she, so she's, you know, she's not going to be able to get to to get her agenda across any other way. And so that's that's where I think you're going to see some of these more uh, dictator kind of moves. So I'm, yeah, I'm about I, that. I I read I wrote something quickly for CNN, and at the end of it, I just said, look, if Hillary or whoever goes through at this point, but assuming it's Hillary, she's going to be entering the Oval Office ethically sullied and moral, I mean, and, and politically hobbled, meaning that th- this is not a person that will command any respect. And so I think that with that in mind, she, she'll have no reputation to protect. And that's a very dangerous person to be dealing with. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of a philosophical question in a way when you have, you know, the, the law is supposed to be the, the supreme thing in this country, the thing that everybody follows. Oh, God is supreme, but then, but then there's the law. And, uh, and the, uh, our leaders, they derive their authority and their legitimacy from the law. They don't, they're not supposed to be dictators. So the law comes first and then them, and that's supposed to dictate, you know, what kind of authority and power they have. So if we have a leader who, who uh, doesn't follow the law, who disregards it, then a lot of people are going to start to wonder is, you know, they're, they're, they're going to start to question her legitimacy as, as a leader. And that's it's a dangerous place to be. Matt, if I can, what what uh, if we're looking for some points of uh, uh, <laughs> points of happiness might be too much here. But what do we take out of all this that is, is either, if not uplifting, at least illuminating? You know, what are the silver linings we can find after this? Because I, I found this whole thing. Dep- I just want this whole election to end. I find it deeply depressing. Uh, you know, I, I'm I, I got nothing on some of this stuff at this point. I just want it to stop. Uh, what what can we take from this that is either useful for the future or at least is is a signal of hope? And I know that's not an easy question given what's going on. Yeah, I, I don't know about hope. There's uh, you know I think we have to look for the hope in our in our own individual lives and in our families and everything. That's where we find that's where we find the hope. As far as uh, and there should be a lot of hope there, you know. But um, and in and in our faith in God. But as far as as a nation, uh, I I don't know about hope because it has been very it has been very it's been a very depressing. Uh, thing and I think it's going to get even more depressing. The only, I guess, the only bright spot is that is what we're talking about. That we, at least we all, many of us, have our eyes opened. I guess going into this, uh, it's it's not like when Barack Obama got into the White House, and yeah, conservatives were very suspicious of him, but there were also a lot of people that saw him as this kind of messiah figure, and maybe some who still see him that way. So when the scandals start coming in, people refuse to see it. Right. But with nobody sees Clinton that way at all. Nobody does. Right. And um, so we have our eyes open and we'll be looking for it. And uh, so maybe that's the bright spot. Yeah, she, she will be. I, I, it's funny, Matt. I, I, I to get away with things because we'll we'll be looking for it. But but part of that is we also need to keep Republicans in the House and Senate so they can keep her in check. And, you know, that's a whole other discussion. She will be. And I, I totally agree with your point about even if she even if she does win a landslide, which I don't pretend to know how the votes are going to really come out. I mean, it looks like she's going to win. How much? I don't know. But even if she does win in a landslide, unlike Obama, I mentioned this earlier in the week on the show, there's no honeymoon. There's no uh, aura of invincibility. She will be entering the Oval Office under siege in a sense. I mean, it, it will be everybody will know this is a deeply 
uh, untrustworthy, uh, ethically, not even dubious. Odious is a better word. I've been using it a lot today on the show. I've got to come up with a better synonym. Uh, but somebody who it, it does not inspire anyone, including Democrats. They just want their person there to enact certain policies. And so I, I think you have the beginnings of a very strong opposition. The problem, of course, with that is she has the veto pen and there'll be stuff that she does that I'm not sure Republicans will be able to stop. But at, at least... We won't have to all sit around and grin and clap and pretend that she's some sort of genius, which a lot of us had to, or a lot of people felt the urge uh, or the the, uh, the need to do when Obama came into office. So that's kind of a silver lining. That's a silver lining, but part of that is uh, not just keeping Republicans in Congress, but as conservatives, we're going to have to find a way. I mean, once this election is over, we're all assuming Donald Trump's going to lose, and I think he will. But, of course, we're all going to descend on each other as conservatives. There's going to be a lot of finger pointing and blaming and uh, a lot of purging of, of, you know, various different factions. But we're going to have to get and that's inevitable. I'm not even going to try to tell people not to do it because it will happen. And in fact, I do think there are some conservative, quote unquote, thought leaders who, who do, in essence, need to be purged in some ways because they can't be trusted. But um, once we, we need to get past that pretty quickly and, and, and come back together because we're going to need to be together to oppose everything Hillary is going to do. So that's that, that, that's that's going to fall back on us as conservatives to, you know, we'll get past the um, the the anger phase and uh, we're going to have to get to, you know, be resolute and uh, and come back. Together. Matt, I, I don't I don't want to ask you a question that makes you uncomfortable, but I'm just curious. Would you based on where things are going now, do you think that you're going to will, will you feel obligated to your ideals and to the conservative movement after the election, assuming that Trump loses Will you name some names? Are, are you actually going to call people on the carpet, or are you going to kind of try to just move on and, and unite people? I will. Yeah, I, I, I don't pretend that whoever I name, it, it really matters that much. I don't think anyone really cares what I say that much. But uh, I, I will certainly be naming names. I think names do need to be named. There, there are people who, there are conservative, quote-unquote, leaders in this movement who led us into this. And I'm not talking about after the primary was over and everyone's like, well, lesser field. I'm talking about lead, they, they, in the primary, from the very beginning, they saw this in front of us, and they, and they, led, they led their, uh, their followers to, to this, to this point that we're at now. And I do think they need to be named. People like Why? Why, did they, I mean, why do you think they did that? that be trusted. Why did they do that, What's Matt? That? Why did they do that, in your, in your view? Why would people that have supposedly spent years, in some cases decades, fighting for conservatism, hop on the Trump train right away? What was the thinking? I think part of it is, you know, guy. I think guys like Sean Hannity were just part of it is they're, they're friends with him, or they want to be friends with Donald Trump. He's the celebrity billionaire. They like going to the, his resorts and playing golf and things like that. I, I think that is a big part part of it is, is just on a personal level they want to be friends with him and they want to get the free stuff. We can ne- we can never negate the uh, the power of, of free stuff to to sway people. And then the other part of it is, you know, the narrative. It, it was kind of like this this primary was happening in the, in the very early stages donald trump jumped into it and there was this period at the very beginning where there hadn't been a, con- a conservative narrative hadn't quite taken shape yet and uh and once it did take shape and you know we saw that people were kind of coalescing around donald trump because he's supposedly this outsider and anti-establishment guy a lot of conservative media people went in that direction because they realized that that's where the ratings would be and, and uh and so it's it's very simple. They didn't want to, they didn't want to tick off their audience, and they wanted the ratings. And we've seen some of these internet, you know, some of the sites and some of the uh, media outlets 
that have been big, been big Trump boosters from the very beginning, their audiences have grown uh, enormously. And, and so that's why they did it. But right. once this is all over and Donald Trump fades away into irrelevance, which I think he will very quickly, in fact, um, we're going to have to turn back around to some of these people and some of these media outlets and say, all right, you know, it's it's. Your time is done. We don't need you anymore. Thank you for your services, but we're done. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting time. Matt Walsh is a uh, writer for The Blaze. You can read his latest on TheBlaze.com. Also, guys, Matt does a great podcast, which you should download. You go to TheBlaze.com slash radio or just look up uh, Matt Walsh's page on The Blaze. Matt, really appreciate your time, sir. Have a good weekend. Appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, team, we'll be back right after the break. Buck Sexton. Buck Sexton. Dispensing the truth. On the Blaze Radio Network. Dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton. On the Blaze Radio Network. President Obama speaking right now on Obamacare. Take it live government would step in with a quality plan that people can afford. And by the way, this is not a radical idea. This idea is modeled on something the Republicans championed under George Bush for the Medicare Part D drug benefit program. It was fine when it was their idea. The fact that they're now opposed to it as some socialist scheme is not being consistent. It's being partisan. Only other people are partisan. Obama's and finally, partisan. we should continue to encourage innovation by the states. Oh, yeah, now, innovation. What the Affordable what, Care Act says is... That's what the Affordable Care Act is all about. Here's how we propose you insure your populations. But no, it tells you how you, you have to insure them. If the state can figure out a different way to accomplish the same goal, providing affordable, comprehensive coverage for the same number of residents... Wait, but you decide cost, what's comprehensive. Then go right ahead. There may be more than one way to skin a cat. Maybe you've got an idea we haven't thought of. Just show us. Don't talk about it. Show us what the plan looks like. Yeah, that's how it's going to work. The states are going to show. Republicans <laughs> who claim to care about <laughs> your health crap. insurance choices and your premiums. He is so But then offer crap. nothing and block common sense solutions like the ones oh, that yeah, are proposed to improve them. It's all common sense. Just like the gun that's reforms. That's not right. It's not right. No. My message to them has been and will continue to be work with us. Nope, that's Make never been your message. Better. Totally partisan Help on Obamacare's passage serve. and ever since. We're open to good ideas, but they've got to be real ideas. No, you're not. Not just slogans. That's all this Not just votes about to repeal. And they've got to pass basic muster. You can't say, well, if, if we just do, uh, if we just plant some magic beans. Yeah, that's a really, he's making really substantive policy Everybody will have health insurance. Yeah. No, that's what they say. You know, we, Magic beans. We've got to have health care economists and experts look at it and see if the thing would actually yeah. work. Central planning. Central planning. That's that's the answer. Central planning for health care by the federal government. So, All right. Enough of Obama. A guy has learned nothing about health care in eight years of being president. That's for sure. Or at least isn't willing to share anything worthwhile that he's learned. All the same partisan nonsense. You know, we'll talk about Obamacare some more on the flip side of the break here. Uh, I just wanted to play that for you because... Uh, Obamacare right now is in some trouble. We'll talk about what that means in just a few minutes. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Whoops, I just jumped in my own... uh... And my own intro there. Uh, team, there's a lot of Obamacare talk, including the debate last night and also President Obama talking about it today. In fact, right now, he's talking about it. we got the perfect person to walk us through what's real, what's not, what we need to know. Ovik Roy, who is Forbes opinion editor. He also advised Marco Rubio on policy in 2015 and was a senior advisor to Rick Perry. He's a healthcare expert, smart guy all around. Ovik, great to have you. Hey, buddy, how are you? That intro music is pretty good. I, I need the MP3 for that. Thank you. Yeah, we, we, we rock it kind of funky in the hut. So like uh, let's start with Hillary last night on Obamacare. Weak, weak sauce, I thought. Weak sauce all around. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Hillary's, Hillary is stuck because the things that you have to do to quote-unquote fix Obamacare involve actually repealing at least parts of it, right? The only way you're going to make Obamacare quote-unquote work is to repeal the regulations that drive up premiums and make health care more expensive for everyone. She doesn't want to do that because she philosophically believes in the federal government regulating everything. And of course, Trump says, yeah, he's going to repeal it. But unless you actually have a specific plan to repeal it that's carefully crafted and intelligent, you're not going to get it done. So I feel like Trump is empty rhetoric on this, too. But for Hillary, I'm surprised that this hasn't been more of a liability in the campaign, given that exchanges are in bad shape. I just read off, I think it was yesterday, some of the premiums on the main insurers in different states are going up 50 percent, 90 percent. One of them was over 100 percent. Should, shouldn't that get people's attention? How is that not more of an issue? Yeah, you know, I, I, look, I think the voters who are harmed by Obamacare, I'm sure that, that, uh, that they're aware of it and they're upset about it. And, and hopefully they take that into consideration when they vote. Um, and you're right. It should be more of an issue. And if we if we've been ha- that's the debate we should have been having all along. I wish that uh, the Republican nominee had been hammering home that point every day. I mean, he talks about how bad Obamacare is, but he doesn't get into those specifics, which I think would do a lot uh, to, uh, to to call attention to these problems. Do we have Hillary from audio? Uh, Hillary audio? Yeah. OK. This is what Hillary said last night about it. Play it. And I'll say something about the Affordable Care Act, which he wants to repeal. The Affordable Care Act extended the solvency of the Medicare trust fund. So if he repeals it, our Medicare problem gets worse. What we need to do is go after the long-term health care drivers. We've got to get costs down, increase value, emphasize wellness. I have a plan for doing that, and I think that we will be able to get entitlement spending under control by with more resources and smarter decisions. All right. So if instead of Donald Trump, who doesn't know much about health care, we had Ovik Roy up there on the stage, what would you have said to Mrs. Clinton's little uh, diatribe there? Well, what she said about Obamacare extending the solvency of Medicare is a total lie. Basically, what Obamacare does is it cuts Medicare or reduces future spending on Medicare, which isn't inherently bad. We need to reduce future spending on Medicare. But instead of using that money to shore up the long-term solvency of Medicare, like she claims Obamacare does, it takes those savings and then spends them to expand coverage to the uninsured. So, uh, you know, it, it's just not true to say that Obamacare shored up the long-term solvency of Medicare and made it less solvent over the future. And her point about having a plan to, what was it, like, ensure wellness or something? <laughs> she said yeah. some. Well, it's well, like, listen, is she going to encourage meditation and yoga? Like, what is she talking about? Oh, Hillary Yoga. What is she talking pr- pr- about? Pretty much. I mean, the thing, the thing, that, the, the thing that, and I can tell you this because I know people who work for Hillary Clinton and advise Hillary Clinton, Hillary's strategy in this election and also over the next four years is not to actually do a lot on health care. She's really scarred from the time that she rolled out Hillary Care back in the 90s. Her thought process is, 
we're going to tweak around the edges. We're not going to really change much. And let's just avoid it because it's just a political loser for us if we try to do more. We should be glad that Obama took all those political hits. Let's avoid that. Now, the thing is, it's not going to be totally avoidable in that way because the premiums are going to continue to go up. People are going to continue to be up in arms about that. And that's not something she's going to be able to avoid. There are going to be calls on her to do something about it. And her options to fix Obamacare, going back to our original point, her options to fix Obamacare are pretty limited. What would you say to uh, – I've got some, some choice quotes here from President Obama, who's, who's trying to sort of do his best for his namesake uh, or signature law today, and, and he's out there defending it. He said, quote, if your premiums are going up, it's not because of Obamacare. It's because of your employer or insurer. It's not something to be blamed on the ACA. In some cases, these increases are reasonable. Some states, they're going up 50% or more. It's because they're already – at historically low premiums. What say you, Ovik? That's total cockamamie bullcrap. Is that a, <laughs> a quick, brief way to put it? I mean, it's completely crap. I mean, the, the entire increase, when, when Obamacare was being debated in Congress in 2009, you may remember this, Buck, there was a time, this would be like 2009, uh, an insurance company in California called WellPoint increased its premiums in one market by 23%. And Obama went all around the country giving speeches about how appalling that was, how horrible that was, and how thanks to the Affordable Care Act, the Affordable Care Act became law and it was passed by Congress, that would never happen again. What we need Obamacare to do is to keep those insurers in line and make sure they can never raise your premiums again. And what have we seen? Premiums have doubled in the Obamacare exchanges since the law was passed. So it's the, the incredible dishonesty of that point is just amazing to me. And I actually, I will say, Vox.com, a left-wing website, as some of your readers will be familiar with, actually invited me to, to send them two op-eds on this, which I did, which you can Google. If you Google my name and Vox, you'll find this stuff. And I talk about this, that Obamacare was designed from the beginning uh, in a way that would drive up premiums. And even though they try to say, oh, everything's fine, don't worry, this is all normal, their own internal correspondence over email that was leaked by WikiLeaks just a couple of days ago proves that they themselves know what a liability this is and that Obamacare isn't working. I mean, I see, I, I just did that. I Googled this and on Vox. Obamacare was built to fail? How so? Yeah, so, I mean, this is something, again, we've talked about this for years, Buck, that when the law was designed, it created this new layer of federal regulations in an area of the health insurance market that was never regulated at the federal level before. It was regulated at the state level. So you throw in this layer of onerous regulations where the federal government is now dictating what kind of insurance your local insurer can sell and what kind of insurance you can buy. And as a result, what happens? The prices go up because once you force insurers to cover all sorts of different services that you don't need, to redistribute income so that young and healthy people have to spend a lot more on their insurance, all of a sudden what happens? Insurance goes up. Sick people you know, are subsidized to some degree, and the majority of people who are in normal health are penalized. So premiums have gone up. It was designed that way. And they all said, well, no, this means that you don't understand. Health insurance, this is how health insurance is supposed to work. It's supposed to work the way it's going to be great. Your premiums are going to go down by 2500 per family per year. That's what Obama promised in 2008. And it's been the exact opposite. Now, what, do you, uh, what would be your response to this uh, Wall Street Journal editorial 
where you have Phil Graham, who's at AEI, saying uh, the title is Where Clinton Will Take Obamacare. As with Hillary Care, a single payer national health care system has always been the goal. Is that true? And is that where we're going? Um, yes and no. So, yes, it's always been the goal for the left to go to single payer. But uh, so long as people like us continue to turn out and vote and elect members of Congress who oppose single payer and the public option, it won't happen. Remember that in 2009, 2010, when the Democrats had controlled 60 seats in the Senate, meaning they could you know, over, overcome a filibuster, they still couldn't get a public option through because there weren't 60 Democrats who supported a public option. So unless uh, we blow things and, and let them have that kind of control again, uh, we should be able to protect ourselves from something like that. Can you just uh, tell everybody, why is again, a public option a bad idea? Just, just, just go over that for yeah, everybody yeah. listening so we're clear. Go ahead. Basically, what the public option is, is it's the camel's nose under the tent for government-run single-payer health care. The idea is that a government-run insurer would, quote-unquote, compete with private insurers to offer uh, insurance to you at a lower price. Well, the only way that a government-run insurer is going to compete and offer lower prices is through price controls, by forcing doctors and hospitals to accept for their services lower prices than what the market would otherwise uh, bear. And so the end result would be, if, if the federal government was allowed to do that, private insurance would go away. And the end result would be a monopoly whereby the government would be the only insurer. And if you didn't like the kind of health coverage they provided, you're out of luck. Right. And so we would all assume that coverage would get, I mean, the not coverage, yeah, sorry. The coverage would get worse. Like, right. Everything would get worse. Controls, yeah. Once the government is the sole insurer, then the government will say, you know what? You're 92 years old. We're not going to pay for that knee replacement because you're going to die in a year or two. So why should we spend all that money, for example? Um, and, you know, and, and again, like, look, if you decide that you don't want to pay for insurance that covers those things, that's, that's your free choice. But if the government is deciding you don't have the choice, you can't buy coverage that helps you in certain situations or doesn't help you in other situations, that's all gone. And the ability of insurers to be focused on you rather than politics goes away. So if you like the kind of health coverage that people get in Canada, for example, where they have a single-payer system, where there's long, long lines and waiting lists for these kinds of uh, procedures, heart procedures, knee surgeries, hip surgeries, etc., then yeah, you know, then maybe you're going to find single-payer great. But I think most Americans want to have choice. They want to know that if my insurance company isn't doing a good job, I can switch and go to another insurer. Under a single-payer system, you can't do that. Under a single-payer system, the government is the only insurer. It's like, the, imagine the post office, but no Federal Express, no UPS. The only way you can get anything delivered to you is through the post office. That's kind of how government health care works at uh, twice the cost. Now, uh, you... you travel in circles or, you know, you move in circles where you have leftists who are big healthcare proponents and who, you know, or this is their area of expertise, or at least supposedly their area of expertise. Are they surprised at the Obamacare problems that have come up? Or are they like, this is a feature, not a bug? It depends. So there's some sort of center left types who, uh, who understood that there were risks of this, I think. Um, and there are people on the like loony left who just don't understand how economics works at all, who are completely surprised. Uh, but I'd say, broadly speaking, no. I think they all relied on Jonathan Gruber. Jonathan Gruber said, everything's going to be fine, don't worry, everybody. And everyone just sort of trusted him and said that, assumed that he was right, because he was the MIT professor, he was the expert. And, uh, 
and then they've been surprised that the, the criticisms have turned out to be uh, true. Remember, you, you remember this, Buck, that like in 2013, I was writing about how, based on the filings that we were receiving from insurance companies that they were posting online, it was clear that Obamacare was going to drive up premiums just as we had all predicted they would. And the left went nuts saying that I was a liar, I was a fraud, this is all right-wing hackery, etc. And, you know, they were obviously the ones who were, you know, being more partisan and hackish. I, I bet so, you haven't gotten a lot of apologies, have you? Uh, not, not exactly. Yeah, I figured. Well, Ovik, always great to have you on, to have your expertise here for the rest of the team. We appreciate it. Ovik Roy is a Forbes Opinion Editor. You can follow him at A-V-I-K on Twitter. Great to have you, my friend. Thank you for calling in. Thanks, buddy. Uh, team, we'll be back after this break with some closing thoughts for the day. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. Listening to the Buck Sexton Show only on the Blaze Radio Network. We got John in California. What's up, John? Well, nothing, Shields. Hi, sir. I just wanted to ask you a quick question. Um, you, you speak of Evan McMullen, and and um, I think he's a great guy from what I've heard and everything. I, I'm just curious if he actually wins Utah. What does that really mean in the grand scheme of things? Um, Utah is usually a, a Republican state. So does that just detract from from people voting for Trump? And, and I'm by no means, you know, saying, why, you sure. know, I'm, I'm Look, hating there, there are two there are two reasons that people are voting, or there there are sort of two Evan McMullen stories as I see it. The one is people view him as a competent, actually conservative, and it's sort of a conscience vote, and they're just going to vote for him. and They don't care about the implications of the vote, other than just that's what they think the right thing to do is. Fair enough and fine. The other one is that if Evan McMullen is able to win Utah, it might prevent, depending on how the rest of the election plays out, theoretically, any candidate from getting to 270. And at that point, the election goes to the House and then the House decides um, this is a this is a Hail Mary pass from your own 10 yard line. Uh, into a defense that's number one in the league and there's like a snowstorm going on. Can it happen? Sure. Would you put any money on this happening? I would hope not. So I think that's the best way I can describe the uh, the Evan McMullen situation in terms of winning a state or, or, or winning the election. Uh, it's more of a sort of a conscience vote or a protest vote or whatever you want to call it. Him preventing either candidate. Because remember, it's not just whether he can win Utah. It's, well, how does the rest of the electorate play out? I mean, if Hillary is, is crushing it, she doesn't need Utah. So it doesn't matter. So there's that. And, and you know, maybe Trump wins. I don't know. Who knows at this point? But is that is that uh, an answer, John? Might not be a perfect answer. I well, think that, it's an answer, though. That is definitely an answer, and I understand a little better now. Thank you so much, sir. Absolutely, sir. Shields high. Thank you for calling in. Uh, team, my plan for tomorrow, um, I'm, in, I'm in sort of a... Uh, a sour mood today. Um, uh, so my plan for tomorrow is to try to find stuff to talk about that is not politics. That's just interesting stuff. So we can hang out on a Friday in the Freedom Hut. Maybe it'll be news stories that I just sort of pick up on. Some of it might be a little intense, maybe not. But 
That's my plan, at least. If you're up for that, uh, or if you, if you sort of think that's a good idea, just shoot me a little note on Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton and give me the thumbs up or the shields high, and I'll know. I think we could all take a little freestyle Friday and, and sort of try to chill a little bit. Uh, the election's close, I know, but not much will happen between today and tomorrow, hopefully, and we'll have an ability to sort of take a breath and take a beat and uh, have some fun together before we go off on the weekend. And then next week, we'll be once more onto the breach. Thank you, as always, for listening. Please download the show. Share it with a friend or two. If you wouldn't mind, that'd be a huge help. Until tomorrow, my friends, Shield Tide. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.